want to be a CEO? It's a tough mountain to climb. I'm finding out how to get there and what to do once you make it to the top. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Walking me through it step-by-step is CEO, CEO mentor, and author of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond, Philip Levinson. Lev, g'day. G'day, Michael. So, today, we're talking about being fit to fight. You're in the role as chief executive, and the pressure is on. I think probably the best place for us to start is pretty much where we left off at the end of the seven surprises. Number seven on the list was you're still only human. You're going to feel the pressure of the role, aren't you? That's exactly right. And if you don't acknowledge the fact that you are human and that you have your foibles and you're you're not infallible and you're not indestructible, then you are going to make mistakes and break. So the idea is, and we talked about this, the idea is to know yourself, know what your limits are, not get yourself into a situation where you feel completely overwhelmed, where you've been backed into that corner and there's nowhere nowhere to go. And have coping mechanisms, have something that takes you out of that that environment. So I was going to ask you about that because I can imagine that when the pressure is on, when there are problems coming at you from every angle and you're stuck on something, it yeah. must be so hard to get perspective and to, to see the context of that problem and then to see the potential solution for it. How do you get distance? How did you, in your role as a CEO, manage to just switch off, take a step back and look at the the, the whole context of the problem? Was there a, a, a place that you went to, a thing that you that you did that helped you to? Relax? Well, actually, I mean, this is very personal. The first thing I did is sought help. Mm-hmm. I got, a, I got uh, we talk about the board of Lev later, but I also got a therapist somebody that I could talk to, somebody that I could say, this is what I'm, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm doing as a result of what I'm thinking and feeling. And, and it's not working. I'm making the same mistakes again and again and again. And I need to know why and what to do about it. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that everybody needs to get a therapist, but I am saying that if you are going to do a job at high, at a high level, you need to have that mentoring, that coaching, that supporting group around you that have your best interests at heart, that really don't care about the outcome of the issue that you're dealing with. And were there any other coping mechanisms that you used on a day-to-day basis, perhaps things that you actually developed with the therapist? Well, actually, that's an interesting question. One of the things that I learned quite early on is to breathe, mm. which, um, which is an extraordinary thing to say. But uh, I'll give you an example, if I may, because when I found myself under stress... I found myself getting more stressed. And apparently the reason for that was I'd stopped breathing. And uh, I fly helicopters as a, as a passion. Of course. And, uh, and uh, when I was in the early stages of learning how to fly helicopters, I, um, I was following a flight path down to the little H with, with the circle around it at Bankstown Airport. The circuit was busy. There were radio calls going backwards and forwards, some of which were to me telling me what to do next. Uh, there were other people intercepting our circuit and still this little H for the circle and it was bouncing around on my own screen. There was quite a bit of wind. And all of a sudden my instructor turned around to me and said, sing me a song. I thought, Christ, I've got radios going. I've got wind all over the place. I've got the H bouncing around. And now he wants to add to the pressure 
by getting me to sing a song. So I said, I don't sing songs. He said, come on, mate, you must have a song that you like. I said, mate, I can't sing. He said, oh, come on, you must know the alphabet. And I thought this was all part of the test. So I recited the alphabet all the way down and the H stabilized in the windscreen and we went down. And when I did the pre-flight or the post-flight briefing, he said, you know, I like the way you did this. I didn't like the way you did that. You should think about doing this more often and blah, 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 blah. Any questions for me? And I said, yeah, what was that about singing a song in the middle of the circuit? He goes, mate, by my watch, you hadn't taken a breath for one minute and 20 seconds. Next thing that was going to happen is you were going to black out. I don't know if you noticed, but I had my hands on the control waiting for you to do that. Wow. That wouldn't have gone well for you. It wouldn't have gone well for your passengers. You got to learn to breathe. That's extraordinary. Yeah, it was a great it was a great lesson. And so that's advice now that you've taken. It is actually. I, I notice when I'm not breathing. Mm. Uh, I notice because I, you know all of a sudden your stress level goes up, understandably, because you're, you're not you're not breathing. And I school myself. I think I said to you before. You know, one of the things going onto the floor every morning was three deep breaths. Okay, everybody's going to take their cue from me, whether I like it or not. This is the role. Everybody's going to take their cue. I need to have, a, you know, a calm demeanor. And the only way to do that is to take three deep breaths. And, you know, when you're faced with one of these, these issues that are coming at you and you're backing into the corner, you know, you got to understand that you are backing into a corner. So see that coming, take the breaths, take a deep breath, stop, press pause. Okay. Everybody, I need half an hour. Just everybody out of the room. I need half an hour to figure this out, this one out, and then I'll call you back in. Wow. And it's a big deal because the first time you do it, everybody looks at you like you're going absolutely mad. After a while, they kind of expect it. How important is it to be kind to yourself in these roles? Yeah, and the, and you're not, and you're not. Mm. I mean, this is this was one of the biggest lessons learned. Yeah. And the words "be kind to yourself" were, were given to me. I was sitting on a plane early one morning. And a very beautiful uh, woman came to sit next to me and uh, she said, good morning. And I said, good morning. And the the, uh, the hostess said to her, would you like coffee or tea? And she said, I'll have a bottle of champagne, thanks. And I looked at her sideways and she said, don't look at me like that. If you'd had the night that I had last night, you'd be drinking too. And we talked about our life experiences. And at the end of our conversation, two-hour flight, she tapped me on the shoulder and she said, you've got to learn to be kind to yourself. It was an incredible lesson because what she was saying is, cut yourself some slack for God's sake. And I suppose that all ties in quite neatly with what we've spoken about in previous episodes about knowing yourself, about knowing the areas that you're particularly tough on yourself for, but also yeah. knowing what your, your limitations are. And that actually probably has quite a physical uh, effect as well. When you need to know how you handle different situations, how your body handles different situations, how you respond to sleep, how you respond to, yeah. to fitness. How important is that uh, self-awareness, almost the physical aspect of it being to you throughout your career? So I know when I don't exercise that I start to get cranky mm. and and things start to fall off, not literally, but, um, you know, the wheels start to fall off. Yeah. And when I was working in Europe, it was it was horrible getting up in the morning and 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 sort of staggering through the streets of London at six o'clock to go and do exercise in, in in some part. But if you don't do it by eleven o'clock in the morning, you're starting to get cranky and you know the jet lag starts to bite you. So it becomes a habit. And and you know we talked last time about the um, the quintessential CEO who gets up at four o'clock in the morning and runs a triathlon and swims across the bay and 
you know, cycles 50 Ks whilst also getting uh, the information that they need on a daily basis. That doesn't happen, but it, it's a great example of what as a person you need to do when you're in this high pressure role. You need to have some way of dispelling that pressure of doing something that takes your mind completely off mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the issue that you're being faced with because you often come back to it in, in, a, in a much more refreshed and, and more sympathetic way. Whereas if you're just pounding at it constantly, and I remember having done that many times, you never get the optimal outcome. Personal question. How many hours sleep did you get a night when you were a CEO? Uh, six, six hours typically. Was it enough? Probably not. Mm. Probably not. I mean, it, it, you know, I'd finished the week. Like Friday night for me was the night that I went to sleep as opposed to the night that I went out. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not just the sleep. It's the, it's the quality of the sleep. Mm. One of the things I used to do was wake up in the middle of the night, think, Oh, I've got to remember to do that. And then I'd lie awake thinking I've got to remember to do that. And then I'd get up and go and have a shower and then forget about what it was that I was supposed to be doing. So you're holding on to that thought, which is why you're not sleeping. So again, uh, one of the tricks that I was taught was to write, write that thought down. You go back to sleep. My handwriting's terrible. <laughs> My handwriting at four o'clock in the morning in the dark. So I used to wake up with a notebook with squibbles on it. I think, what the, what the hell? But I'd actually remember what it was. Yep. That. But I, and it allowed me to let go of that. So, you know, again, that's, that's a. Was there always the expectation that, that at any point during the night, the phone might ring? Absolutely. That you'd be, and it you'd did. be called to, to duty. Yeah. And it did. You know, there was, there was, there were things that went on mm. um, and you are responsible. So at the end of the day, you've got to be prepared for it. That kind of thing must really disrupt your, your natural sleeping patterns and, and also your, it would just wear you down. It would wear your resilience down, wouldn't it? Yeah. And I think that's the, it's the ability to press pause, Yeah, you know, and be resilient and understand your sleep cycles. Mm-hmm. So for me, for example, you know, to, sometime between two o'clock and four o'clock, which I think we're at now. So I'm about to fall asleep. In most days I'd go into that dip. So recognizing that I wouldn't have meetings that required attention to detail or meetings that required me to be completely on. Yeah. That was my time for doing some research or, you know, answering emails or whatever it was that I needed to do. And in fact, I learned that lesson as a naval officer. I was the liaison officer for a, for an admiral who was coming through. And uh, I was given his run sheet and his run sheet was 0600, wake up 0001, clean teeth, 0002, you know, continue. And at 1600 to 1800 every day, we've written the words Lima, Lima, Delta. So I went, I sat with the Admiral and said to him, sir, you know, we're going through your run sheet. And I noticed uh, Lima, Lima, Delta here at 1600 and it's, and it's on the run sheet every day. And he said, yes, and it's very important. I just wonder if you could uh, let me into the to the the uh, three letter acronym, and he said, "Little lie down." He said, "I learned this Fantastic. as the captain of a ship. I would put Lima Lima Delta on my run sheet, and the instructions to the crew were, "Don't bother me. I just need those two hours at that time on my own to do whatever it was I needed to do, sleep or just have some time out to decompress." Yeah. But it was such a professional. To my mind, it was such a professional acceptance of the fact you are only human. You can't be on all the time. I suppose you've got to do in the end what works for you yeah. as well. You can't do that, what we were talking about before, the stereotypical image of the, the CEO being on at your desk from 7am having 
run a, a, a marathon that morning and being through there through until 7 p.m. and expect yeah. that you're going to be able to function at, at maximum capacity. Well, many people time. do. And that was a mistake I made was not, was trying not to portray any weakness. Right. And so weakness for me was not being, not doing that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do a run, a marathon, uh, first thing every morning, but not being on up, ready to go, you know, at some point in my earlier, my CEO career infallible, which yeah. was in itself a huge mistake. And I think one of the reasons why, why we're here talking and one of the reasons why I've written the book is to say to people, learn to take the break, learn to press pause, learn, you know, build up your resilience. Mm. It's okay. And it's okay to talk to people. It's okay to get professional help. It's, it's all okay. And it'll actually make you better because if you, if and it happened in my case, if you, if you contain it all within yourself, something's going to break. Speaking of other people and being willing and, and able to talk to other people, it, it, it probably leads us fairly naturally onto the idea of having a personal board, your own personal board around you. So we're not talking about the board of directors for the company. We're not talking necessarily about anybody that you're, that you're working with, but we're talking about is this right? A, a board that you put together yourself of people that you can bounce ideas off and decompress with. Yes. And that's absolutely critical. And it was a great piece of advice given to me a long time ago, which mm. I've taken through my career. And one of the people who gave me the advice is funnily enough on the board of Lev. He said, you need a group of people around you who have your best interests at heart, but who don't think like you and don't know your business necessarily. Right. But they are, they're, they're your support group. So mine consists of him and he, and he, I've known for many years, have high regard for him. And he's actually in the same industry that I, that I am. My oldest friend who uh, has a background in communications, my garden mentor, my therapist and my lawyer. So, you know, it sounds like the beginning of a joke. It does, uh, but they've never met. And we don't have formal meetings, but they all know of each other. So you're not meeting quarterly or anything. No, no, it's, no. It's, it's no. It's literally uh, uh, help. Pick this them is, up, when, yeah. up the phone when you when you yeah. need help, or you know, send an email and call back in a week, and, and yeah. you know. But at least you know you've got people out there. I mean, in the navy, the the captain dines alone. It's a very lonely leadership. Is a very lonely place to be, and I think some of the some of the problems of leadership are exacerbated by the fact that you've got nowhere to go. Mm. What's the first thing you do? You talk to your trusted confidant. Meanwhile, your trusted confidant in the organization is stabbing you in the back because the only thing standing between you and them getting your job is you. Yeah. So it's great to find out that you've got weaknesses and you get stabbed in the back. Uh, or you, you rely on people who are only too happy to talk to the media or, or uh, uh, exacerbate the problem. So you need to have a very trusted group of people around you who, as I said, have your interests at heart, but don't think the same way. So these, we can basically put together a list then of the people that shouldn't be on your personal board, which is those who don't have your best interests at heart, preferably not people from within your own organisation. If you are the CEO, it's probably not appropriate in some cases to be speaking to them about the nature of some of your challenges. I think that's, that's and you learn that. Mm. I mean, again, it's not in the book or it's not in a book, it is in this book. But you learn that because your natural inclination is to have, you know, you work with these people, you see them all day, every day, and you Mm. sit them down and you start talking to them and you start confiding in them and they start using what you've confided 
either against you or, or to your detriment or, and then this is something that we, we were talking about briefly, I think in the last podcast, you're musing, you decide we should paint everything pink. And next thing, next day you walk in, everything's painted pink. You go, what the hell happened? Why is it painted pink? Well, because you told us to. No, no, I was just thinking about it. You've got to be very careful with the messages that you send yeah, because they can be picked up and, and all hell breaks loose because all of a sudden it's you want this done, Lev needs this done. Um, and, and for you to then backtrack when they've all gone to the trouble of painting it pink is, is, is again, something that's going to act to your detriment. Is it a, a space as well where it's safe to have some really, really bad ideas? Yes, absolutely. That you should be able to actually voice those, have those people on your personal board tell you that's a terrible idea. Yes, absolutely. And, and Saving say, the well, embarrassment I'm- of taking it into the boardroom. <laughs> and it's happened to me, I ha- hate to tell you how many times it's happened to me that members of the board of LEV have gone, I don't think so. That's a really, really silly idea. You yeah. haven't thought about this, that or the other. And there have been times when I said, you know, thank you for that. I'm still going to go ahead and do it. Yeah. And, and I'm prepared for the fallout, but at least you've had some, at least you've had the ability to test it. Mm. And, and I can promise you that the board of Lev has never said to me on a consistent basis, that's fantastic. You're a genius. You need to keep doing that sort of stuff as you may get if you are taking the counsel of people within the organization, because they don't want to upset you. And there's a lot of you know, yeah. potentially a lot of groupthink. And we talked about the impact of groupthink before. So really it's steer clear of people that you can't trust, steer clear of, of people that don't have your best interests at heart when it comes to bouncing these ideas off them and go for those who are going to give you frank and, and fearless feedback. Yeah, I think you know, steering clear of people you don't trust, you don't know it until it's until too late. Giving them the opportunity That's to prove right. it or so, disprove it. Yeah, so I think you you reverse it. Just go with people that you absolutely trust. Yeah, you know, you may be sitting on their board. Yeah, and and you may be in the position where you're giving them advice that they don't really want to hear. I think what I'm realizing more and more each episode is that this advice does not just apply to a CEO. No. It is perfect for anyone in a, in a business capacity or a leadership capacity. It could yeah. be at any, any level. Yeah. Having that safe place, those people that you trust, that you're able to bounce ideas off, including the really bad ones, especially the really bad ones, is so, so important. Yeah. And I think, you know, I should have probably mentioned this earlier, but CEO is kind of shorthand for leader. Mm. You've pointed it out very well. And that's the aspiration is to be a sounding board for leaders. It doesn't have to be the CEO of a public company. As we said right at the very beginning of the podcast, it could be the, the, the founder of a startup. It could be a family business. It could be a sole proprietor. At the end of the day, you're taking responsibility for everything that happens in, in your organization. So really what we're saying is that this book is perfect for anyone who needs a uh, needs a bit of advice and that's why they should be pre-ordering a copy of three peaks leadership how to make it as a ceo and beyond by philip levinson it is available in march so jump on to booktopia or dimmicks 
or Amazon, basically anywhere that sells books online and pre-order your copy now. And if you do that, pretty much guarantee you'll be one of the first to get it when uh, it's released. And don't forget as well to hit subscribe or the follow button on the podcast and you'll get the next episode directly in your playlist every fortnight. I'm Michael Thompson and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Thank you. Thank you.